Hey listeners, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble, that little old podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and joining me today is Laura as we hack our way into season three of Mr. Robot and leak all the spoilers. Hey, Laura. Hey. (laughs) How's it going? Super. Super. Well, very good. We'll go ahead and just kind of dive right in and get started. One quick correction from the last time that we had recorded on season two. We referred to Romero as Ruben, which is incorrect, and we need to stop letting our stomachs decide things, because <laughs> I think we were yeah. just getting hungry. I don't remember why or what, but we fucked that one up. His name's R- Romero. <laughs> I almost fucked it up again. <laughs> His, name's Ruben. Ruben. No. His name's Ruben. His name's Ruben. No. <laughs> Ruben Romero. Ooh. Well, I started like, like, how can I remember this? And I'm like, wasn't there a celebrity named Caesar Romero and Caesar salad, Caesar dressing? Like, it could still work. <laughs> then you're just going to think his name's like Caesar. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just call him Romero. Romero. But in my head, when I can't remember. <laughs> That's the process to go through to get there. Mm-hmm. Random connections. That's it. Right, right on. Hey, man whatever works. All right. So season three of Mr. Robot, how did you like this season compared to our first two seasons? It's, I mean, it's not really a something you can easily compare to, but what did you think of the overall story for this season? I loved this season. Yeah. Yeah. I thought things really ramped up at the same time. They kind of, at least in terms of the machinations of you know, various interest groups came to a head. Yeah, this was a good one. And I would agree things really from like season two, where, you know, we see him spend half the season in prison, but we don't know that he's in prison until halfway through season two. And just kind of going off, we get more white rose in this season. Always welcome. Always welcome. So we'll just kind of hop in. And I think we'll just, like I said, we'll go by, as we discussed before recording, kind of do a character by character, because I think that works best for us. That's cool. That's how we converse normally anyway. Pretty much. (laughs) I always say the most consistent thing about this podcast is how all over the board we are. Yeah. That's just how our brains work. Yeah. So little insight into our brain so I'm I apologize to the listeners it's a weird scary place <laughs> I'm not gonna refute that <laughs> <laughs> you can't <laughs> all right so we'll just go ahead we'll just start with Elliot and so spoilers for season three let's see oh my gosh guys there's like so much it's so hard to kind of try and break it all down But, all right, so Elliot, he, with the help of Angela, gets a job at E-Corp to try and stop phase two from happening. And during that process, he's taken down resident baddies at E-Corp. And I actually, I love those moments in the show where he does the vigilante hackery stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I I love the overall plot and storyline and everything of the series, but those little moments kind of showing him because he's got such 
that confidence in him when he does it, you know? And even when he like is to like confront someone, you know, like we saw in season one, he does it, you know, where he's able to look someone in the eye. And just like I said, with that confidence of I'm I'm taking you down, you're totally boned. Well, that was one of the interesting things about this season too, because normally it's his Mr. Robot persona that allows him to make that eye contact. And Angela even remarks on that, like that's how she tells the difference. But in this season, that starts to, the line between the two personalities blurs more. Like, mm-hmm. It is actually Elliot being more confident in these scenarios. Standing up to Mr. Robot, to himself, to try and stop stage two from happening. Right. He thinks stage two is just to take down the New York office where they're holding, shipping all the paper records. So him getting a job at E Corp was to try and divert those records to thwart stage two of the plan. But I love how he's making stage two happen and fighting it at the same time. Like, dude, how do you how do you live right now? Like, do you sleep ever? But no. No shit. That's what I was kind of wondering. If Mr. Robot's the one that's active at night. Because we see that Mr. Robot is working with um, Angela and Tyrell to get stage two implemented because Angela's all manipulated, brainwashed. She's and- also Elliot's handler in this season. Yes. At least until she starts to completely lose her shit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And which is unfortunate. I know we were going to talk about Elliot, but real quick with like Angela, it's, you know, I yeah. know we've had. <laughs> maybe not the best reaction to this character but I also kind of felt for her in this season in that you kind of see that she is capable of kind of doing great things but she gets completely manipulated brainwashed and broken and starts slipping down that slide of down to cuckoo town and it's just kind of heartbreaking it is but it's also so disappointing Like, how could she grow up with Elliot being his best friend? They both going through, you know, cancer um, type stuff with their parents. But also she knows other things that are going on in Elliot's life that are pretty traumatic. And she helps him deal with that. You know, for someone who's seen a lot of shit, how is she so easily manipulated? Plus, at the beginning of the show, she works in cybersecurity. How are you so easily manipulated? Mm-hmm. Then again, we're talking white rose here. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I would just like, how, how was, was white rose able to break Angela? Like, was just, was it just cause she was, Angela was so kind of hell bent determined of wanting that, that vengeance for her mom? I think that was part of it, but um, I don't think the full extent of what White Rose used to get Angela on board really comes out until towards the end. Mm-hmm. You know, when when this season's massive event goes down and she's watching she's watching the aftermath. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's like, it's okay because they're all gonna be fine. You know, so I don't know what level White Rose explained their machine to her and what they believe it was going to accomplish. But you know damn well she thought she was going to get her mother back. Mm-hmm. And 
that was the most important thing to her. Like, oh, who cares about revenge when I can just have her back? Yeah. But like, I mean, revenge was what brought her to White Rose, but that was what, what White Rose got her with, I think. And it, but it's like, how can you be so disconnected to like from reality where a person could be like, well, we can just, you know, bring your dead parent back and everything will be fine. And then to just kind of buy into, cause we don't see the extent and how long white Rose really spent with Angela in season two. We just know that they spent some girl time together, some girl talk and Angela's on the, on the dark army train now. Yeah. I really want to know that conversation. Like, I'm sorry. Like that's, probably the most disappointing thing of the season i wanted to see white rose in action yeah in terms of the one-on-one manipulation that they're capable of Mm -hmm. and we didn't get to see it we only got to see the results yeah and you know i think maybe for the better kind of leave it up to our imaginations but i'm i too i would agree i would like to have seen more in depth of that but this works too that still leaves those questions and leads to good conversation right and you know i generally think angela's storyline got derailed a bit by behind the scenes drama anyway mm-hmm. with with cast and crew and whatnot so yeah and that's unfortunate that shit like that can have such an impact on on a show and a, and a character's you know arc um, cause it would have been interesting then to see how that character could have played out differently if there wasn't all that drama. Cause I think we talked a little bit about that last time we recorded. There yeah. Was- she apparently demanded more money. Yeah. Like Rami Malik money. It's like, no, you're not the star of the show. You're not, it's not, you know, I'm not, it, not that I'm not on the whole equal pay train or anything like that, but if you're not the star of the show, and the show can go on without you. Do you really think you deserve as much money as the star of the show? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much less she was making. So Right. Well, if it was unfair or or whatever, that's one thing. But yeah, I don't know. I always get a little nervous about things like that when actors are demanding more money for the sake of demanding more money mm-hmm. and they're willing to compromise the success of the story and the show for it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Not knowing the specifics of what happened, it's hard to say. Right. It was sad. And then, so we see Angela descend kind of into crazy town, especially after uh, stage two actually goes through. So Elliot thinks he's just stopping one building from the right. And we find out, and he does. He does in spectacular fashion. Yes. That, and I love... I love that whole kind of switching back and forth between Elliot and Mr. Robot, kind of kicking his own ass, going down the stairwell, the hallway. Did that make you think of Liar Liar? Yes. my ass, do you mind? Well, and especially when there's like the scene he's going down the hallway and goes past someone and they just are kind of stopping. They stopped and they watched because, I mean, how could you not? I love that. I love that scene. Like, you know, there's a couple of times in the series where we get the random bystander's perspective of whatever Elliot's doing to himself mm-hmm. as Mr. Robot. And it's hilarious. And, mm-hmm. you know, for them, probably very disturbing. And that's just funny for me. Yeah. 
I completely agree. But so that whole scene as he's trying to fight his way through E Corp because he's he's been able to kind of reroute shipments from the New York building, but he doesn't know that there are 71 other buildings that have been targeted. And once Elliot kind of starts waking up in that sense where he realizes that it's Mr. Robot and Angela and Tyrell working on stage two, Angela moves and calls Price to have Elliot fired so he can't fuck anything up anymore. But obviously Elliot doesn't know that reports to work is locked out of everything. And then now he's kind of fighting his way through E Corp to try and stop everything. And by fighting his way through, I do mean like fighting himself and, you know, Mr. Robot. But also HR and security. Yes. This is this whole um, post firing, but he's not quite aware. Like he's aware of it. As soon as he's locked out of everything, he knows. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how he's able to get get um a jump on hr and security so they don't get to him right away but this whole sequence um is actually what introduced me to the show mm. so i was at a cybersecurity conference mm-hmm. and one of the speakers was the owner um head of the company the cybersecurity company that consulted for the show and when elliot ducks into that meeting and you know pretends like he's supposed to be there he drops a name he drops the name of that consultant okay so Um, that's the scene that's the scene that's the scene that the consultant showed us as part of his little like keynote speech um and i was like oh man i gotta watch this show so that was that was the moment for me so yeah i came to mr robot a little late and i'm sorry that i did because i later found out that there's a whole like cybersecurity hacking game you can play with tidbits of information from the show and actually going online and going to like GitHub pages and you know decrypting images and finding the hidden inf- information with steganography techniques and all the stuff and I'm just like oh man I can't believe I missed out on this. <laughs> that yeah that would have been fun to be able to participate in yeah because you sent me that link and I was like god damn it. <laughs> Like it was not along at home. It was not an easy game, though. Yeah, you had you had to get all the references from all the books they were referring to and everything, and and decode all of that just to get to the next step. But part of the game that you played was the game that Angela played in that room, where she meets White Rose. You know, what do you do? Do you sit with your friend or do you leave? You know, all that kind of. That's the questions you're answering. Oh, but uh. Yeah, where were we? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So Elliot's fired from E Corp. He's fighting his way to try and stop the hack. Meanwhile, there's like protests going on, and it's just insanity. How was watching the protests and rewatching the season? You know, with everything that's been going on currently. I mean, <laughs> did that have a whole new like flavor to it for you? I mean, not really, because being in Wisconsin and especially with, uh, you know, Act 10 and and Scott Walker and everything and, you know, whatever year that fucking was, 500 years ago now. (laughs) Feels like it. Yeah, but it feels like, at least for me ever since then, protesting has been just a a thing that we do. Yeah, exactly. So for me, like I said, for me personally, being involved in that. So that was like, yeah, 2011. 
Yes, because I was protesting on my due date and <laughs> the little shit was still a week late. But <laughs> didn't want you to miss the protest. Didn't want me to miss the protest. So consider it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, ever since about then, I'd say, I mean, protests are going up, you know, since then, about every other weekend, various causes. So, it's just become kind of almost, yeah, like second nature to the world that we're in right now. And yeah, with everything so maybe this last year, it's, even more relevant hmm. maybe we're more desensitized to things in tv than we realize quite possibly this, if this is part of our normal life we're just like oh yeah that makes sense move on but you know that whole thing culminates into some uh, some level of violent insurrection and we got to see that take place in the nation's capital just recently oh, God, um yeah. so it almost made that part of it seem more realistic to me. Mm-hmm. Like, why would why would people go to these lengths? Like, do they even care about this? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but then we saw it, and it's like, oh, yeah, people just don't really think about it. They just do what they're told. Pretty much. A bunch of sheep. <laughs> sheep all. Or lemmings, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, episode six. And we also see Angela's grip on reality slipping. Mm-hmm. She also does the hackery thing. Maybe that was in, in episode five, but that episode six, it's like everything in the first half of the season comes to a head here. We've got Dom's getting close to catching or finding Wellick. Santiago is a giant piece of shit. As Trying we, to stop her. Yep. And, you know, Angela losing her mind, Darlene kind of going back and forth between the FBI and her friends and her like loyalty to Elliot. We get the white rose and price interaction. Yeah, I love those. And then eventually Mr. Robot kind of comes to his senses and helps Elliot to stop the hack in the New York building. Elliot's walking down the street feeling pretty good about himself. And the line is something like, if he's like in on the joke or if he's missing something, then it kind of starts noticing everyone in the streets, like looking on their, looking at their phone, looking distraught, passes by TV window, sees that the 71 other buildings have been destroyed with people in them. So they didn't evacuate anybody like they had told Angela that they were going to do. And Angela's responsible for yes uh, this like she pulls the trigger yes it's all her and well don't get me wrong there are lots of people responsible for this but she has that moment of you know she has that decision to make and she chooses to pull the trigger yes because she thinks everyone's just gonna be fine they're yeah. all gonna be fine and then you're like oh shit i thought elliot was crazy but wow yep <laughs> Because the one, the scene with her watching the buildings coming down over and over, rewinding and then pausing, it's like she gets, she's like stuck in time. Like she has to be to kind of preserve that last little bit of mental stability that she might have is to be stuck in that time of, you know, where she shows Darlene, everyone's okay. See, watch building comes down, rewinds, buildings back up, pause 
everything's fine. And it's like, that's such a sad kind of scary moment. Mm-hmm. And you, you just kind of see it where it's just under the surface that she has to continue to believe this lie or she's going to, con- she's just going to break down completely. And she eventually does at the end of the season when she's talking with price and she finally admits that it was all her fault. And then she gets angry and she wants revenge. And so price we're was, back on the revenge train. Yep. And price was just like, you just need to accept that you got conned. It's what happened and, and try to move on with that, you know, kind of admitting that there's nothing that he can do or will do now with price. I feel like I keep going back and forth on price as well, because I like him, but I don't like him. <laughs> I think that's how you're supposed to feel though. Like he is not a good person. No, I like how cold and like dickish he can be. Cause you know, yeah. he's, he's that way towards Tyrell and Mr. Robot he tries to be that way with white white rose. He's charismatic about it. Yeah. But then there's also just that small amount of compassion that we see mm-hmm. that he has for Angela. But and that's fi- what draws you in, isn't it? I think like, so. Because at first he you're is just like, human. Yeah. Because at first you're just like, ah, this cold corporate asshole, whatever. But then he's but got no. this soft spot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about in the last couple of seasons, you know, this intrigue he has with Angela and what that's all about. And we find out why this season. We do. He's her daddy. (laughs) So props to Angela's, who she thought was her father, but is actually her stepfather because he raised her like his own and always looked out for her and never seemed to resent it for a second well there was so in episode the beginning of episode six it's it's, (laughs) 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 we just slow it down maybe i don't need the second pepsi i've clearly caffeinated enough um toss it over here i need okay there (laughs) (laughs) so at the beginning of episode six it starts with a flashback um to when Angela's younger and it's after her mom's diagnosis. It's kind of a, a living funeral type. Yeah. Type of a situation. How morbid was that? Yeah. And I mean, Mr. Robot's there and he refers to it as a party. Elliot's not there, but um, we see the scene where the lawyer, the female lawyer, I can't remember her name that Angela contacts in the earlier seasons. She's there talking to Angela's parents about an anonymous benefactor keeps calling and the dad gets up and walks away from the table and so that's the first mention of anything kind of remotely alluding to that yeah and even on my first watch I didn't even think anything of it you know I just okay whatever it was just like I said didn't think anything of it but then yeah the anonymous benefactor was price right um most likely it was i mean it's hard to say it could be anybody else but he obviously was upset about all that but he never he never transferred that onto angela mm-hmm. and it really it really made you know this revelation it really made her behavior towards her 
who she thought was her dad and his friends and all of that in the previous season sting all the more. Mm -hmm. How quickly you discard someone who did all of this for you and he didn't even have to. Yep. And I thought it was kind of interesting too that um, at the end of the season where Price is telling Angela all of this because Price's people picked Angela up because she's kind of roaming the streets like a crazy bag lady. (laughs) And I have to wonder where, did she have that cart already or did she go down and get it to be a cuckoo bag lady? I don't know, actually. (laughs) I just. Hey, kudos for her for understanding the importance of props either way. Yeah, totally. Because I mean, she she has the means to just go down and buy a nice little cart if she needs to. And it was a nice little cart. Yeah. Um, but she thinks she's been picked up by White Rose. And again. again, and she's at this big fancy house and everything. And the house manager comes out and he's kind of creepy, weird looking. He's smiling too much, like just looks too much like a living Ken doll. But he's like, well, Mr. Price will be here to answer your questions. So then you're like, oh shit, she's at Price's house. And he eventually tells her that he is her father and that he actually loved uh, her mother and that he never had any intentions of telling her the truth until he saw what White Rose had done to her. Fair enough. I wonder, that's another one of those, what would have happened if um, he had been honest sooner? Who knows? That's a big if. You know, like, at what point? Are we talking about when she was a kid? Are we talking about, you know, before she was born? Are we we talking about before she decided to pull the trigger on phase two? I mean, there's so many possibilities here. Mm -hmm. And it's like, see, and I think he really was the anonymous benefactor in that flashback because he, he had told Angela that he's the reason why Terry Colby hired them, her. Yeah, that's right. He's always kind of been looking out for her and making sure that she's doing okay, at least. So I appreciated that twist more than making it like a, an icky, dirty thing. Yeah, because they were definitely pulling that vibe. They, they and I feel like it was meant to be a, you know, a distraction from other possibilities. See, and then watch, re-watching it, it's like, yeah, they do kind of, but is it really more on us, the viewers, of being dirty little perverts and thinking but, that that's where it's going to go because that's... Well, maybe, but you have to remember we as the viewers are a tool in this show. We're a character in this show. The, the way that it's written is meant to play on that. That is, a, that is a very overdone trope in a show. It's an overdone trope in society in general. So, of course, we're going to go down that path and they're they're going they're going to lead us there happily yeah so you know that is a credit to excellent writing and understanding you know consumerism and and general you know general storyline plot lines whatever in uh, entertainment absolutely but i'm just kind of like man i'm a pervert (laughs) well yeah we're probably that too (laughs) (laughs) thank you for pausing a little bit before agreeing so quickly (laughs) i think that takes care of angela and philip for a little bit yeah i gotta admit though with philip him standing up to white rose 
you know, it doesn't always play out in his favor, but he does kind of get his own eventually. And it's really, that's a really fun moment to watch. So I like this little back and forth battle they have because they're both like the biggest egos in the show by far. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do love their their little song and dance that they go back and forth on. There's mutual respect there, but White Rose definitely has that air of superiority about him where I think he disregards Philip a little too quickly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like White Rose is definitely, definitely more emotional in, in decision-making. Yeah, but it works for them. Yeah. Well, because, you know, White Rose decides that they're going to go ahead and implement stage two earlier than, than planned. And her assistant's kind of like, all right, that's kind of weird, but whatever. And we find out it's all because she was mad at, at Price. Oh, yeah. That's another good thing to bring up, though. The assistant dynamic changes yeah. in this season and it carries on to the next season as well. The assistant is, you know, trying to be a voice of reason now rather than just doing whatever White Rose says. Mm-hmm. And I think that's meant to indicate that White Rose is going a little off the rails too. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, the assistant just straight up calls her out in one of the episodes too. Or he's like, I think we just need to get, you know, kind of voices his concern about her obsession with Elliot and that it's time to just get rid of Elliot. And White Rose just kind of was like, well, you say I'm wrong about this and maybe I am. So what do you think we should do? Kind of just almost like playing with them, toying with them, making the yeah. assistant think that he has footing or, or more say. Yeah. I need to quickly look up the assistant's name because I believe it's Grant. I mean, they did have a bit of a sexual relationship going on, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So that would further make him believe that he meant more than he actually did. Mm-hmm. And then in the season finale, Irving, who's got to be the best new character, loved him in this season in all his... Used car salesman glory. Yep. <laughs> but also ruthlessness. So we, so Irving just straight up kind of calls Grant out and he's just like, just remember, he's like, I was you a long time ago. And then make some comment about like, did she make you taste her or something? And he's just like, I'm, he's like, I've served my time. I think she's going to be fine with me being done now, taking his quote sabbatical and finishing his novel. (laughs) I'd like to read Irving's novel. (laughs) Me too. But yeah, um, you know, Grant takes the, I don't know, the prescribed way out for dark army people. Yep. So they're in. They believe everyone's going to be fine too, apparently. Yeah. Because then White Rose calls them and is like, you have always been, you know, you've always let your jealousy kind of blind you to Elliot and his greatness or whatever. And White Rose says to him, she's like, we will meet in, you know, at a later time when, you know, when the plan is finished, but we are done for the here and now. And Grant happily, I guess happily, not happily, but he accepts it. And 
shoots himself in the head. Yeah, and I think later on, in, in more so in the next season, when we get to delve into how White Rose became White Rose, mm-hmm. I I feel really sorry for Grant. Yeah. So yeah, so White Rose is pulling all the strings. Like mm-hmm. She is just like the 1% of that 1% that controls the world. Yeah. And I think that acknowledgement of her own superiority at times is is kind of a weakness of hers I think she underestimates people at the wrong times like I think things could have gone differently for her but I don't know it gave Philip his chance to get his own in so you know who knows yeah but the whole thing with moving her machine to the Congo maybe that could have happened way sooner if she just took a step back a little bit (laughs) Maybe, but again, just a little bit more erratic than, yeah. which I found, I guess, a little bit surprising with how Because she seems so poised and calculated in the earlier interactions with her. Yep. Yep. But we're, I guess we're coming to a point in the show where her plan, whatever it is, because we still don't know at this point. Um, is coming closer to either fruition or being completely destroyed and things aren't going exactly the way that she planned out and if we've learned anything over the course of these last three seasons she's got one hell of an elaborate plan going and it's been going for a long time Mm -hmm. so perhaps it is really that unsettling to watch it fray a little bit yeah yeah I could see that yeah I love that character White Rose me too scary and effective and B.D. Wong does an amazing job playing the character as White Rose and as the Prime Minister he really does and I didn't know this until recently but I and not that it matters but I had no idea idea B.D. Wong is gay I didn't either, but yeah, you're right. It makes no difference to me, except for the fact that, you know, Mr. Robot managed to have a gay actor play a gay role. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, does a does a great job, because I've only ever known him from SVU, and I don't know that his sexuality was ever brought up in later seasons with him. He's a great actor, and I just love... I love seeing him on screen doing his thing because he's very, very good. He's good at being quietly unsettling. Yeah. See, it's an Asian thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say that. I, I, don't, I can't say that, nor can I verify it. I'm quiet. I'm not quiet. What the fuck am I talking about? Well, it is unsettling when you are quiet. <laughs> good point. So that kind of works. All right. Who do you want to talk about next? Hmm. Well, we kind of brought up Darlene earlier, but we haven't really talked about what's going on with her. All right. And and by extension, I guess, Dom. Yeah. Because we all love Dom. We all love Dom. She's such a badass. All right. So, yeah. So, Darlene. She's, like I said, she kind of is back and forth with the FBI and Dom and being 
confidential informant. Yeah, she's kind of trying to play both sides here, like the the F Society, Dark Army side, but also the FBI informant side. And, you know, she's not very good at it. (laughs) But to her credit, she is trying to help Elliot. Um, And I think she manages to, to a degree. You know, she's able to give Dom a different perspective on Elliot and why he's doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So to that to that point, I think she did all right. But yeah, she's she's terrible. She she tries. And I think we talked about last time too, where it's like she tries so hard to be like this little badass. Like yeah, maybe but- trying too hard to follow in in her big brother's footsteps, but she's she can't for whatever reason no she she she's really easy to break Mm -hmm. but she's also really good at breaking other people like look what she did to cisco Mm -hmm. you know before they finally decided they actually cared about each other and then everything went to hell anyway um but this season dom ends up being the victim of Darlene's I'm not sure if it's intentional or not but Darlene's cruelty because like there's there's flirtation in some of the interactions between the two of them but you know it finally culminates with them having a like a I don't know one night stand type thing you Mm -hmm. think yeah yeah Darlene went in with kind of the she's no longer a CI so she's hanging out with uh, with Dom to try and swipe Dom's credentials so that she can hack into the FBI and get Romero's keys to try mm-hmm. and undo the hack because Romero had tracked or pulled that information. So they have a thing. They end up having some drinks, go back to Dom's house, have a nightcap, start making out. And Darlene wakes up in the middle of the night gets into Dom's safe. Dom wakes up, takes her down to the station. And I, you kind of feel bad for Dom. Yeah. Because you don't really, we don't really see that she has like anybody else, friends, no friends family. Definitely no significant other. And it's mm-hmm. clear she wants one. Or just like, at this, least somebody else. This show life. is all about people being socially engineered. Yeah. And Darlene... Darlene played her. I don't think she realized the extent of the protection she had with with Dom treating her the way she was treating her mm-hmm. until she ends up losing it. But you know, it has it has a, its benefit because this is how this is kind of what leads to Dom finding out the truth about her boss, Santiago being a giant piece of shit. I mean, that's the benefit, but then what happens after that isn't really a benefit for Dom either. So Dom just keeps getting shit on, really. Yeah. And she, you know, and at the end of season three, she tells Darlene, she's like, you ruined my life. She's like, you are a terrible person and you should live with that and die with that, which is harsh as fuck, but- Keeping it real. Yeah. Can you blame her in that moment? Well, no, but even if there wasn't the emotionally charged reasons for Dom to say that, she is right. Mm-hmm. 
Because, yeah. I mean, this wasn't the first time Darlene took something out of someone's safe. I think, was it the beginning of this season she took the, or was it, was it the previous season she took something out of that guy she sees sometimes safe? She took the, was it the gun? Or, yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was in the earlier season. So, you know, and she's kind of playing that guy too. So she has a pattern and she totally, like, people are aware of this pattern and she totally played dumb of all people. And it's just like, how, how could you do that? Mm-hmm. Why is it always the decent people in this show? Cause Dom's a decent person. She's like the first properly decent person in the show since Gideon. Yes. Oh, Gideon. I know. Like you can't touch his niceness. Like no. he is the nicest person in the show. Dom can't even do that. No. But yeah, so like, what happens to Dom because of Darlene is just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But her boss gets what's coming to him. Yep. So they all get taken to. So Santiago. Okay, wait, let's back up a little bit more. So when Dom busts Darlene and takes her down to the station, FBI, wherever, and she finally comes clean. Dom's like, Dom and Santiago are talking about it. And Dom's like, come on, this, there's like, we can't lose with this. If she's wrong, then she goes to jail. You know, she's, if she's right, then we save the day. And Santiago, and by now we know Santiago is a, uh, is a mole for the, yeah. For Cause the he called army. his mom and told her to stay home. Yep. And we actually, day. and we actually get that reveal in episode three. So fairly early in the season, so we know now why he's been so sus the last two seasons and it all fucking makes sense. Mm-hmm. So in this scene, Dom's pushing and pushing, like, come on, we have to do this. We have to act. And he just keeps firing off excuse. No, we can't, we have to wait. And what about your gross unprofessional behavior? And like, flips it, yeah. yeah, and flips it on her. He's and not wrong like, about that. She shouldn't have done that. Well, her to her credit, though, she's like, she's not a CI anymore. And Dom being Dom would not have done anything that would could have jeopardized any of the investigation. Right. And she also disclosed it anyway, because she's being, you know, proper employee. Exactly. So you just see this pushback. And then Santiago's like, well, I'm taking you off the case and I'm assigning it to someone else. Meanwhile, he then just snags up Darlene and Dom kind of catches him in the act of trying to make, take Darlene away. And he punches her and punches Dom in the face and zip ties her and throws her into the back of the car and drives out to one of the dark army farms out in the middle of fucking nowhere to one of the worst barn parties in the history of barn parties. Yep. And I know we're skipping a bit ahead, but my God, this was such a great episode and such a great finale. Yeah. I mean, you had the standoff between Elliot and the Dark Army people trying to save his sister and everything. You had Dom's whole interaction with, uh, what's his name? Irving. Irving. Yes. Which was, oh, it was awesome because... Like, he's so calm and just matter of fact, like, this is casual conversation, but just starts going into, well, you'd really hate it if we, you know, killed your whole family, huh? What about little cousin and all all that stuff? And it's just like, whoa, (laughs) okay. Yep. 
So Irving's there and Santiago starts trying to make demands of, you know, you guys need to start cleaning up my messes and yada, yada. Just being that little prick that he is. And he thought Irving was going to kill Dom for him. Yes. And Dom thought, I mean, we all kind of thought that and they get up to the wood pile and, and even Irving kind of lets it all play out like that. You know, he just tells Dom, you know, look up at the sky, take a deep breath, enjoy the scenery. And then he just whack right into Santiago's dark, shitty heart. And he's just laying there spurting out. And he's like, turns to Dom. And he's like, you work for us now. It's like business as usual. We ask you for information and you give it to us. And Dom's like, I'm not going to do that. And that's when Irving, that kind of slow, kind of quiet, like, oh yeah, what's the name of the the youngest person in your family? Mindy, age four or whatever. And, and, and knows names, places. And he's like, I want you. And this was harsh as fuck. And he tells Dom, he's like, I want you to imagine Santiago as your little four-year-old cousin and he starts whacking i'm like holy shit you're gonna make her visualize her four-year-old niece that is that's dark yeah but that didn't and for dom this is horrifying because she is that model do good type person you know um that like the very core of her identity has been taken from her Mm -hmm. she is no longer a proper you know uh, by the book fbi agent she can no longer be a good person she's a party to crime like this is just destroying her so again her reaction to darlene um telling her she's a horrible person and she needs to live with that die with that all that totally appropriate oh yeah oh yeah i i think it totally makes sense and it's kind of interesting um because as they're driving out to the worst barn party ever and Santiago's even you know Dom's like this was all you you're the whole reason why we couldn't get anywhere with the investigation you were in on the whole Cisco like everything and Santiago's like well you just wait and see he's like I didn't have a choice blah 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 kind of all these things he's like you'll just you'll wait and see it'll be your turn kind of thinking you know, that's a little bit of foreshadowing, but not really. I didn't really think it was going to go that route. I don't think Santiago did either, but it was very cleverly phrased. Yes. And Dom makes the comment that she would never do anything to compromise who she is. And then she's forced to right then and there. And it makes you, it kind of makes you wonder what was, what was Santiago's initiation? What was Irving's initiation like? What I don't think Leon's? Santiago, I don't think for Santiago it took much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I, it clearly had something to do with his mom. That's the only person he seemed to. His mom or the power of. of his position. I mean, you know, he, he did mention at one point that he was in line to be the next director or something. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a career motivation there too. Sure. But. Yeah, Leon's would be an interesting story, wouldn't it? Yes. What did they get you with? Like, you're a badass. What did they get you with? If we could just get, like, a little short, you know, of how Leon became Leon the Professional 2.0, because he is my favorite psychopath. Out of all the psychopaths in the series, he is my favorite. Well, 
how can you not like him? Like, he's so nice and personable, and he just wants to talk about TV shows like, I don't know, you. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, he gets the orders to go do something. He completely just destroys everything and goes back to being his mild-mannered self. He's like, he's like, oh man, it's like Clark Kent and Superman, but like in a criminal twist, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I love that we got more Leon this season. I love his, um, like all the scenes that we got with him, shitty barn party to him picking up uh, Mobley and Trenton, Trenton and poor Mobley and Trenton. They got framed yes. for their, for using Every- their heritage yeah. against them. They got framed for everything. And, you know, that the protesting um Elliot's awesome monologue that actually features uh, snippets of Trump's speeches mm-hmm. like I felt like this entire season was a commentary on current society and how much things spiral out of control and how easy it is to manipulate things um for the general public to believe whatever we we need to believe in order for us to act a certain way and uh, you know it comes to fruition in in Elliot's monologue as well like what would we give up for security mm-hmm. and I think we're we're asking ourselves this question even now absolutely absolutely and yeah kind of quick reminder is that white rose is responsible was responsible for Donald Trump yes that's right and I was like, well, now I kind of hate you. Yeah. <laughs> God, you are just an evil genius. The evilest, geniusy, yeah. evil genius. Is it weird that I have such respect for evil geniuses? Not really. At least in terms of pop culture, anyway. Yeah, I mean. I, well, okay. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. I'm just like, no, no, not at all. Of course, you I have gotta... respect for evil geniuses. I got to back that up, though, um, on the evil genius subject. Stereotypically speaking, evil geniuses in pop culture have been somehow maimed or crippled. And, like, that's part of their driving factor of them being evil. And, you know, the the uh, nature of their disability um, further serves to like uh present them as as evil here and one of the things that i liked about white rose was that that wasn't the case Mm -hmm. but but was that just transposed instead of it being a disabled person it's now a gay slash trans person possibly and you know i've been thinking about that a little bit like very interesting if it wasn't for the fact that other mostly evil geniuses in the show were you know rich white men maybe maybe that'd stand out a little more but i don't know for some reason that's come to mind recently interesting yeah i hadn't thought of it but now i'm probably not going to be able to stop thinking about it oops (laughs) hey that's quite all right no no bring it on you know 
it's a very interesting take. And I'll probably be thinking of that when I get into start rewatching season four as we yeah. get, because I think we find out more about how white, a little bit more on how white Rose became white Rose, or at least we do came to power. Also but, though, I think TV and movies in general, in, in, again, we're talking more recently here have done interesting things with that pre-existing trope. Um, it's like, okay, let's talk about Kingsman movies for a second. Both of those had weird, uh, somewhat disabled villains, right? But the reasoning behind the reasoning behind what they were doing was something you could relate with. And that kind of worked to refresh it too. I mean, it's still a trope, it's still a problem. But here, Again, I don't know if this is just like, well, we didn't make ours disabled, but we did make them this. Yeah. Like, is that part of what makes them evil? Is that the way people associate it? I don't know. But we don't get the benefit of understanding White Rose's reasoning until season four. Yeah. Interesting. Like I said, I'll definitely be, and I'll definitely be in like the, the forefront of my brain space when I watch season four. Where were, oh yeah, so we were just talking about the last two remaining members of F Society. Everything gets pinned on them. Dark Army sets it all up. They were nicer people too. Yeah, they were. You know, uh, Trenton, all she wanted was keep her family safe. That was, her family was her main priority. Yeah. And and to help her family and to kind of clear, help clear their debt. This hurts her family. So much, yeah. Not just because they lose their daughter, but you know, the whole Muslim Middle Eastern terrorist thing. I just, I feel so bad for them. Like you want to look at a, a secondhand casualty, how bad that can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Cause then we see it's a, an episode eight and um, where it's after everything's been pinned on Mobley and Trenton and Elliot's kind of downward spiraling. He's, he feels guilty and for what happened to them and for everything. And so he goes and to buys a whole stash of drugs, plans on ODing. Mm-hmm. But, but before that, he went to go visit, try and pay respects to the family members of Mobley and Trenton. He goes right. to Mobley's brother's house, who is just a, an ass, and kind of get the feeling that maybe he's always been a bit of an ass towards his brother. You know, he makes yeah. some comment of like, this doesn't surprise me about him, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm not paying for a funeral for a terrorist and this and that. And then Elliot goes to Trenton's family's house and her little brother ends up following Elliot and then basically ends up saving his life, ends up spending the whole day with him, runs off at one point. Elliot goes and finds him. They have kind of a nice chit chat and finish their hanging out. And the whole time Elliot's like, I have something very important to do. So they end up spending the day together. Elliot takes Trenton's brother back. Her brother's just like, I'm sorry if I made you late for your really important thing. I hope you can still make it not knowing what it is. Right. And I just, 
I, I don't know. I just, I loved, I really loved this episode a lot more. I think the second time it almost gives you this feeling that like, that there's fate. Cause I felt like he was, it was fated for him to, you know, pay his respects and then kind of get quote stuck with Trenton's little brother who prevents Elliot from committing suicide and actually kind of helps refresh Elliot, you know, kind of revive him in that sense. Cause then he goes back to Mobley's brothers and he's like, this is what you're going to do. Right. You're going to, you're going to do all these things. He's got that confidence. He's hacked his brother, you know, hacked Mobley's brother. And he's just like, if you don't want this stuff to get out, you're going to do all these things. And I'll be watching from the back and I'll make sure you get my email, (laughs) (laughs) which I loved. See, that's, I love those little moments of Elliot, the vigilante hacker. Yeah, it's almost like Elliot could have been a force all on his own, and he didn't really need to be a part of this whole dark army thing. Absolutely. I mean, he could have, I guess maybe in a sense, I would have been okay with him just kind of taking down a baddie of the week, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Low, like, low level who cares about cop shows? Let's, <laughs> let's make a hacker vigilante show where they... I, and there, okay, fine. There are vigilante shows where like vigilante crews have a hacker on them and everything. That's not what I'm talking about. Those are not done right. This was done right. Would you imagine actually like, I mean, they could make it semi-educational too. Like they could have, feature a different type of hack every week. Yeah. And, you know, it'd be like, cybersecurity 101. Yes, these are the things that you need to look out for. And this is what you stand to lose like you want to make you want to make cybersecurity more um, meaningful to the general public this is a great way to do it it would be awesome sam raimi should do that we should totally like send him an email or something like hey if you've got nothing else going on (laughs) hey you want to do like a mr robot spinoff let's do trenton's little brother oh yeah as as hacker vigilante taking down a bad to make up for his sister's supposed transgressions or maybe find the truth out about it who knows yeah vengeance yeah vengeance is a powerful motivator right yep except he's paying it forward (laughs) but yeah so i just and i so yeah so i love this this episode so much more the second time and then we also see that elliot gets trenton's email because we find out that Trenton has it set up where she's not back at her computer after, you know, every so many hours or whatever, an email will automatically go out. She thinks she has found a way to undo the five, nine hack based off of kind of the breadcrumbs that Romero had left. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I felt so bad for Trenton and Mobley. I hated that. That's how their story ended. It just sucks because I think that's one of the things about the show, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes it more real because there isn't a happy ending for, like, anyone. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I love a show that is not afraid to kill off its main characters throughout its Or do it in a way that upsets you because, let's face it, Game of Thrones did that, at least before it went completely off the rails. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It did. There are plenty of Sunday nights where I was just like, my whole fucking day's ruined tomorrow. <laughs> well, you know, I was having an interesting conversation about that too. Like, it would be a really fascinating pop culture study 
like Game of Thrones was the center of pop culture for so long. Mm -hmm. And now it's like no one talks about it. It doesn't exist anymore. Like the ending was so bad that it erased the it erased itself from relevancy. It's just like that never happens. Well, I think it's just it's run it, you know, it ran its course. I think regardless of how it would have ended, if it had actually if they actually had taken their time and pull out, put out full seasons and taken their time with the writing and the editing and not leaving fucking Starbucks cups on the goddamn tables like fucking newbies. Yeah, right? Um, I think just once something has run its course, that's that's it. You know, I think society will always, you know, fans will always kind of look to try and fill that void. I, I think we saw that a lot with like Lost because um, that was... And again, another show that started strong and kind of towards the end. Yeah. But people still were looking for something to fill that void. And there was a whole handful of shows that came out afterwards that had, that were set in like jungle settings, mysterious island. Were there that were other than Survivor? <laughs> yeah, there was someone, it was like Terra Nova. And I think there was like dinosaurs and it, or tigers and I think it lasted like a season and a half I just remember like a couple of handful of shows that came out shortly after didn't last long and I'm like you're not gonna fill that void of lost you know not well, that, not that same too. kind of genre either you've gotta if you you want to give the viewer something to to latch on to don't just try to regurgitate something that was already successful try and come but up that's with something. just how it works I know but I mean, even with like Breaking Bad, I mean, that show had almost a flawless run. I wasn't, one of the middle seasons I wasn't too keen on, but I think that was also during a writer's strike. Can't remember exactly. But that series ended strong and people loved it. But it's over. And once it was over and, you know, and I think fans got kind of the closure where they were able to happily move on to the next obsession. Where it's like, yes, with Game of Thrones, left more of a sour taste where it's just like spit it out and let's just forget that those last two seasons happened yeah but you know I I don't know if it's one of those shows like every generation has where they can go back and be like oh yeah that was a classic yeah and people will be like you've got to watch this because of that ending it won't no thrones won't <laughs> no anyways but Mr. Robot, yeah. instead, I mean, like you've mentioned a few times, rewatching the show is both great and not great. It's great because you get to relive these moments and maybe see more in them than you would have otherwise, but not so great because part of it was you didn't, there's so much going on, you didn't really know what was happening. And there's so much that's hidden from you for the very clever writing and everything until the proper moment. But now you know that ahead of time. So it's 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 not one of those shows you can easily have that repeat experience with. So I'm wondering how Mr. Robot will stand up as time goes on. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think I think it's it's still a great one. And I'm sure, you know, plenty of like more diehard fans love rewatching it and i i mean i enjoyed rewatching it but it's it was a little a little hard to kind of get through sometimes maybe it's just because i do it so late at night but 
Well, maybe, <laughs> but at least no one's tried to make a knockoff version of it yet. That's true. And let's hope it stays that way. I think it's untouchable. It's so complex. Like how how do you how do you redo that? How do you regurgitate that? You, you can't. You can't. You couldn't do it rapidly, that's for sure. Yeah. So we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for the Mr. Robot light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We shall see. I had something. It did have to go back to Trenton and Mobley and with Leon. So first he drives out into the desert because Leon had killed Mobley's friend. And so he had right. to bury him. And so Trenton and Mobley were afraid that they were going to get buried and or murdered out there and this and that. Trenton breaks out of the handcuffs and she starts to undo Mobley's cuffs. And because it's just like, it's not even cuffs. It's more like a bike lock. She hacks it. And Mobley's like, what are you doing? He's like, don't worry about me. You got to get in the front seat and drive us out of here. And she's like, I don't know how to drive. Yeah, that was really funny. She tries to drive and out in the middle of nowhere and crashes into like the one thing that she can crash into. And, and Leon's just standing there watching like, huh? Yeah. And he's like, that's no way to treat a caddy. And I'm like, Leon, you're better than leaving the keys in the car. You're better than that. You could have cracked a window. Didn't need to leave the keys in the car. I don't think he was worried about them getting away. No, clearly not. But then we see uh, Leon dropping them off at the setup house where they've got, where Dark Army has set everything up to frame Trenton and Mobley for all the attacks. And he starts to say, you know, he's like, well, you know, I'm leaving you here with these guys and I'm, this is where we part. And Trenton has that kind of, she has a line of like, so you're leaving us with them or whatever. And it, I just kind of chuckled because it's like the devil, you know, or the devil, you don't know. And she almost yeah, it's seemed, like she seemed sad that Leon was leaving. That's Leon's special ability though. It is. And I loved his rant about Frazier and that it's a balding white dude could smash that much ass. And <laughs> he's got a point. He like does. what was the appeal? I don't know. I really like it when balding middle-aged, not very fit, condescending men hit on me. Yeah. <laughs> what what? Yeah. And then he's like, if you really want to see an ordinary person doing extraordinary shit, he goes, Don't sleep on Night Rider, yo. And I was like, Night Rider's <laughs> awesome. And then You're right, you're right. And then they play, and then like kind of the their next scene is they're driving out into the desert, but it's the Knight Rider theme. And I was like, yeah, that theme song is so fucking cool. It used to be my ringtone. Might need to be I think my you ringtone bring that now. Back. I think so yeah. too. It's, I just, I love that man. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'd, love to, great. I'd love to have him on the podcast. Joey Badass, um, if you're listening. <laughs> for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's just like his character. Mm-hmm. Because everybody on TV is really just playing themselves, right? Exactly. An exaggerated version of themselves. Like stage with David Tennant and Michael Sheen, which is still super cute and adorable and a nice distraction and just a quick burn and you would totally love it. Are they like real life best friends now? I think so. That's awesome. Yeah. They're adorable together. Yeah. It's like one of those bromances for the ages. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But you know, classy because it's Welsh and Scottish. Is it classy because of their accents? <laughs> yes. You, is that what you're saying right yes, now? Yes, it is. Because 
I love I love their accents. I've recently become very obsessed with the Scottish accent. Yeah, see, you know, British people would laugh hysterically at the whole like because we speak in this accent, we're classy thing. Because they have like so many different dialects and and everything, and they discriminate against each other based on where they come from. And it's sort of like this whole nuanced thing about it. And we're just like, oh, British accent, oh. Our, un- our dumb, untrained ears are just like, it's all beautiful. You're all so classy. <laughs> when you call each other twats and cunts, it sounds classy. Truly, I gotta admit, you know, cunt comes off a lot nicer in Australian, that's for sure. <laughs> Partially because <laughs> of how they use it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Phrasing, I know, but. Spit all over my stuff. <laughs> But yeah, seriously, in Australia, that it's like, you can say that about your worst enemy. You could totally use that for that. But it's also how you refer to your best mate. Mm-hmm. I can't. When I go to Macca's, it's like, okay, <laughs> I'll get used to this. Eight years later, nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just love, yeah, they're nonchalant way of using just throwing out cut left and right cut here, <laughs> there's, cut there. there's some phrasing <laughs> just throwing just it out throwing there throwing it out there <laughs> speaking of cunts uh tyrell tyrell <laughs> how did we know i don't know yeah you know what's funny about this we're getting to him so late and it's like it kind of mirrors his whole character arc. Like in the first season, he was the force to be reckoned with, you know, in his haphazard way. But he's kind of become less relevant. Yeah, because we see that he, by the end of the season, he's just another puppet for the Dark Army. And yeah. he kind of spends, you know, a good chunk of this season still thinking that he's a god and to a certain extent he and Elliot are still gods and pining for Elliot because they've been separated yeah what this is that's such a weird dynamic in their relationship that I just don't get Mm -hmm. but his delusions of grandeur are that's how you manipulate Tyrell like everyone has a weakness to exploit and that's his yeah and there's like one scene I think it's it's an episode four but he's him and Mr. Robot kind of have this like confrontation and Tyrell says that he doesn't like Mr. Robot makes some comment I think about how he's or at least he's acting like he's not in love with Elliot anymore 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 and that and I thought it was ironic that Tyrell was thought that Elliot was too crazy yeah because uh pot kettle much yeah. i mean sure tyrell you're a different kind of crazy but you're crazy exactly you thought they uh, were gods like also everyone's got a little screw loose <laughs> it's like he snaps out of this infatuation is like oh yeah i have a family i should care about them again it's like damn okay all right cool you care about your family too bad it's too late but then they don't let him know that no, and that was harsh. And Santiago is the one that breaks the news to Tyrell in just the dickish way possible. Because it's Santiago. Mm-hmm. And you got to feel for Tyrell in that moment. Totally. Totally. But, ugh. But, yeah, I don't know. But, um, but it's 
episode three that we get it's a it's a bit of a flashback in the sense that we get we go back to the night of the hack and it's all from tyrell's perspective and i love it i love this episode because of that and because it mm -hmm. kind of helps fill in a little bit of, of some of those gaps so we kind of see what where tyrell is at during everything from season uh one and you know from the end of basically season two you know elliot's in jail and Tyrell's basically in hiding, still working on stage two out in the farm place that Dark Army has out in the middle of fucking nowhere. His escape attempt was interesting. Yeah. I loved that perspective because then it kind of cuts with, you know, things that happened in, in season two. So there's a scene where I think Irving is talking to Leon about how everything went. And Leon just starts going off on how great it was to kill Nazis. He's like, oh, you know, bloody blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'll never shy. He's like something about he respects life, but he won't shy away from the opportunity to kill a bunch of Nazis. Right. And yeah. And, and Irving's just got this look on his face like, no, not that. Like <laughs> Elliot getting out. <laughs> Yeah, Irving, like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all set up. Is Irving's exasperation there is really funny. <laughs> I totally agree. He just had just the look on his face was priceless. But we see Tyrell kind of locked away, basically living in isolation for these couple of months, growing um, a beard, growing a beard, and also kind of keeping an eye on his wife, Joanna, and the baby. Joanna is shot like right away in like episode one or two. Mm -hmm. So Joanna's storyline comes to an end fairly early in this season from her jilted lover. And they don't tell Tyrell about this. And at first I just kind of thought Joanna, I just thought it was such an abrupt kind of shitty end to Joanna and her little role that she kind of played throughout the, the season up until this point. Are you kidding? I was more upset about her bodyguard dying. I was, oh, that, I was really upset about that too. But he did kill the bartender boyfriend one mm -hmm. last shot. He managed to, to squeeze off. But just kind of in the sense that, you know, we kind of see this cold calculated woman and who's kind of obsessed with power and, and everything. And to be brought down by just a jilted angry ex who's been manipulated and lied to and played right but, but i think the way, kinda... well i was Sorry. just gonna say the way that they worked the death into tyrell's storyline and kind of hanging that carrot in front of him so to speak as his motivation that was cruelty at its finest for sure mm -hmm. but i think the way that joanna died was kind of a foreshadowing tool you shouldn't underestimate the people you're using Mm, good point. Absolutely. So I didn't think that, like, okay, it was a sucky end for sure. Um, but I didn't think that it was without purpose. Mm -hmm. And not just because it allowed them to manipulate Tyrell and withhold information. Because even if she was alive, they could have, you know, the, yeah, used it to ways. manipulate it. Yep. Right. So I think it was more of that foreshadowing piece. I love that. I love that. I didn't think of that at all, but I think you are absolutely right. And I think that makes her death make that much more sense. Not to say that it 
doesn't make any sense. It's just that first time I watched it, I was like, whoa, really? That's it? But the second time, without thinking about the point that you just brought up, it did kind of make a bit more sense. But I also had the thought that, well, they could have maintained a lie and the manipulation over Tyrell without ne- without having to actually kill her off. Right. But it served its purpose. Like I said, they kind of kept dangling that carrot in front of Tyrell to serve as motivation to keep him going. He decides that, all right, he's going to do this. And then he wants to see his wife and his kid. Right. Only because he's not in love with Elliot anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, yeah, he's he's done with Elliot's cuckoo pants. Uh Uh-huh. But not his own. (laughs) No. So Dom's kind of closing in on the whole dark army and everything. Mm-hmm. and in Tyrell's location dark army finds out about this and they quote kind of release him play it off as though he has had escaped had this whole kind of story how he he's the victim of everything his name is cleared uh from the hack because everything's been placed on Trenton and Mobley and he's just allowed to all charges are dropped he goes home to a lonely house Mr. Robot shows up they get into a scuffle Tyrell starts putting on some rubber gloves so he can start beating Mr. Robot's ass. And I love that he carried that weird thing of his. Like, mm-hmm. okay. It's so weird. And then Price shows up to let Tyrell know that he is going to be the new CTO of E Corp. And Tyrell, kind of still being a bit naive, doesn't realize that price is kind of one of the puppet math. You know, he's part of that 1% of the 1%. Yeah. So this, he's still kind of pulling all the strings and this is where Tyrell realizes that he is just going to be nothing but a dark army puppet poster boy. He thinks he thinks he's, he can, he's got stuff over, over price. He's like, well, you need me to save face. You know, I'm a hero, yada, yada. You're out of moves. And Price is like, you're not worth any moves. You are a problem I inherited. Right? And the, yeah, Tyrell is that insignificant now. Mm-hmm. If you look back on the first season, did you really expect his storyline to go like that? No, not like that. I, I I didn't. I didn't expect him to become a background player, and he is. And the the biggest disappointment for me, though, with Tyrell is that maybe I missed this. So, you know, you did a rewatch more recently and everything. So correct me if I'm wrong, but did he ever try to track down his son? So far, no attempt. Right. So I don't recall if there's an attempt made in the fourth season. I don't recall one at all. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I don't recall one at all either. So much for your family being your motivator. What? Yep. But he's not crazy. Maybe he's just that broken now, too. Dark Army has a way of just breaking people to tiny little pieces. Yeah, they do. You're right. Anything else on Tyrell? I feel like there was a bit more I wanted to say. Now I cannot think of it for the life of me. Um, He was chopping a lot of wood, but didn't get any fitter. Yeah, I noticed that definitely the first time around, too. And the actor that plays him, it's kind of funny because at least in in this series, from a strictly 
superficial point of view, he is a handsome, good looking fella, but he does that like crazy eye thing. Yeah. Where you're just like, nope, not hot anymore. Nope. Yeah. Creepy and weird. Don't like Actually, it. Actually, you're right. There's, there's something about his appearance that like controls his behavior, you know, because he was like crazy man of the woods there when he was out on the farm, right? And then when he gets back home and he gets the news about CTO and everything, he cleans himself up, puts on his suit, slicks back his hair again, and like magic, he's the old Tyrell. Mm-hmm. It's like, is that how easy that is? Okay, do you have some sort of personality disorder? What the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe a touch. I, I, everyone, I think in this, in this series, all the main players, there's, there's a screw loose. At least at one. least one. Yeah, for all of them. But yeah, he so poor Tyrell is no longer in love with Elliot. Doesn't have his wife. Yeah, Mister. I feel like Mister. Robot is the one that broke them up. So sad. Such a meddler that Mister. Robot guy. Yeah. Always in the way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> didn't you want? Didn't you want them to just have this makeout session? Oh. No. Did, did they have scene. any moments? Did they have any moments where they were close enough that you'd be like, kiss him? No, right. Because this I was the breakup think... season, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There wasn't because normally, if there's a scene like that where the actors are really close like that, whether whether it's a romantic or just an intense, like angry moment, I always have that Mike Tyson meme. Now kiss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're both very mature when we watch TV. <laughs> obviously (laughs) but we have such great conversations right so we have poor jilted tyrell here but you know we haven't really discussed how elliot's feeling after the breakup (laughs) yeah i think elliot is okay with the breakup yeah because he cares about this much yeah (laughs) but yeah elliot just kind of on that roller coaster this season of slowly finding all these things out that he thinks he can trust Angela and he even asks Angela to be his handler early in the season right which was kind of predestined you know because she was already asked to be his handler by someone else so she manipulated him into wanting that Mm -hmm. so yeah so Elliot asks Angela to be his handler not because he doesn't know what Mr. Robot's up to, doesn't trust Mr. Robot slash himself. And they're not like on speaking terms right now. They're right. they're fighting with each other during their own awake times. Elliot's trying to un trying to stop the hack, but Mr. Robot is working with Tyrell and Angela to keep it going. He so he finds all of that out. He finds out that Darlene is working with the FBI. And, you know, I was obviously upset about that guilt over what happens to Trenton and Mobley guilt over stage two and the 71 buildings during episode three, when we're focused in on just Tyrell and he's working on the hack, he's got like a map of the United States and he's doing the little push pins yep. and didn't think anything of it until this rewatch where I was like, those are the other buildings, right? I was like, so yeah, Tyrell is totally on board with blowing everything the fuck up. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He has no problem with killing people. It makes him feel like a god. Yeah. 
but yeah, so then eventually during that one-on-one fight scene of Elliot and Mr. Robot trying to stop the explosion in the New York building, they kind of finally come to agreement, come to terms that the Dark Army has been playing Mr. Robot this whole time. And they're kind of, they kind of start working back towards being on speaking terms. And by the end of the end of the season, they kind of have a bit of a one-on-one and agree to start working together. Elliot's like, I missed talking to you. He says Aww. that to Mr. Robot. Yeah. So Mr. Robot broke up him and Tyrell so he could get back in the game. That's all it is. That's all it was. <laughs> Soap opera storylines play out. Oh, yeah. Those Next are your time. favorite. <laughs> right? There's enough intense staring in that show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come to think of it. So with Elliot, and then we also get Krista, his therapist, this season as well, and she meets Mr. Robot. And the first time she meets him, she and, and Mr. Robot comes out, she does look a little scared. Just kind of because like she starts what the to fuck? realize that everything Elliot was saying about what he's been involved in is true. Mm-hmm. And she's in an ethical dilemma as far as what do I do about this? I can't report this because I'm a psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever, but I feel like I have to. Well, cause then later, like after the, after the explosions happen, he, Elliot, Elliot does go to her and Elliot's really kind of unstable, really frazzled and not really making a lot of sense. Kind of being like, I did it. It was my fault. And he has that moment. And then Mr. Robot takes over and I think, yeah, it just kind of lays it all out. And then Krista does actually talk to her attorney. And she's like, you don't know him like I know him. I think he, his response, I think he had a hand in this. Tells her attorney. And he's just kind of like, don't worry about it. There's a whole bunch of crazies out there claiming responsibility for this. It's no big deal, yada, yada. And is very dismissive of her concerns. Which right. I just, I felt the sexism and the racism in that moment. <laughs> yes. She has a legitimate concern. Like, I feel like in that scenario, an attorney should actually listen to the professional who spends hours upon hours with this individual. And if she got to the point where she felt he is a danger to society or is guilty of doing the hack and the, you know, killing thousands of people, if she didn't think it was real. She wouldn't have gone to the attorney. Right. She thought it was just another cuckoo pants spouting off at the cuckoo mouth. So I just, that scene, I just, it enraged me. And plus in that same part, like how dismissive Santiago was towards Dom. Granted, we now know it's because Santiago guilty as fuck and dirty as fuck, but just always kind of pushed back on Dom. Like, no, just stop. You're being, you know, irrational. You're not thinking it through. And then he would always flip it on her. To be like, well, what about you or how you're acting or how is this going to yeah. come back and look on, look and on you? Fucking men. <laughs> I think this season, Elliot kind of realized that he's made a mistake. Like he might have had the best of intentions starting out, but what that ultimately accomplishes at this point is not better than where they were like he's made things worse Mm -hmm. and there's no real guarantee that things will get better as a result and I think it leaves him with a resolve that he has to do 
whatever he can to try and make things right or at least mitigate the damage Mm -hmm. and kind of continue on with trenton's email of undoing the hack based on the stuff that romero had found but then we find out that it wasn't like romero wasn't the one that encrypted the keys or or whatever he was just spying on him someone else had done the whole key bit right and then we find out in the very last episode like the last scene where he's kind of having that one on heart to heart with mr robot elliot's like you're the one that pulled the keys or encrypted am i using the right terms (laughs) (laughs) you're fine so yeah he uh, isn't that part of their like kiss and makeup for lack of a better term like Mm -hmm. you did this you had the keys to stop this because even you thought this might not be the right thing after all yep because earlier in the season they kind of make elliot makes a comment about because he's there was a part of him that that was excited about the hack itself the stage two yeah well i mean if you think about it it's quite incredible to pull off like that yeah and there was a part of him that like didn't want to stop it and that's the part that terrified him that little bit of mr robot conscious within elliot and so in that last scene mr robot kind of admits he's like well there's as much of you and me as there is me and you you know and so that was kind of a little bit of mr robot had a moment of what would elliot do well elliot would kind of put a fail safe in yeah fail safe and it's nice that they have that i guess moment of reckoning Mm -hmm. but going back to the interaction with krista when she meets mr robot like at first she's she's got this confidence about her like i've seen this before i can deal with this but then the more mr robot talks the more unsettled she becomes and it's it's just a really fun scene to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's well acted on uh, Remy Malik's part. Yeah. The way he portrays DID and the way the show kind of builds in like the little glitchy parts, you know, yeah. with the scene to kind of show that Elliot's kind of cracking or, you know, Mr. Robot's just right there under the surface. I loved that. I loved how they incorporated a, a techie techie bit to it yeah and we gotta remember too we as the audience are another aspect of his personality mm-hmm. we're just the friend so how friend. close are we to the surface as well like do you think the show ever gave us an opportunity to play that role i don't know because it was there was one scene and this might have been in season two where Elliot asks us, the viewer, his invisible friend, did you know about this? Yeah. And I just remember, I'm like, no, (laughs) I know what you know. (laughs) I was like, don't yell at me. (laughs) Oh, but I wanted to bring up too, uh, there's a scene where, okay, so there's a scene where Elliot's talking to Krista and so nonchalantly, like he's recalling this fond memory building a snowman with with Darlene and they named it Kevin McAllister because around the time uh Home Alone came out and he's he's telling this kind of nice happy memory he's got a smile on his face as he's recalling it 
And he's like, yeah, just so nonchalantly. He's like, yeah, that was the same day my dad pushed me out the window. And Krista's like, wait, what? He's like, oh, I, I've told you that, haven't I? Like, my dad pushed you out the window. A couple scenes later, he's with Darlene and he brings up, he's like, hey, do you remember Kevin McAllister? And Darlene's reaction of this kind of, yeah, do you want to talk about it? Was a big clue now that we know how everything plays out. Yeah. Clue that he wasn't pushed because she later reveals at the end of the season that because she asks him again, um, why did you bring Kevin McAllister up that one day? You know, do you want to talk about something? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it was just that was the day dad pushed me out the window. And that's where we learn that he wasn't pushed. He jumped. Yep. And that what had happened and Elliot's like, no, no, I, I was, I was pushed. You were so young. You don't, you weren't there. You don't remember. I probably never told you. Darlene's like, I was there. We were in your room. Dad came home. You freaked, shoved me in the closet and then started freaking out and started swinging like a baseball bat around, bashed the window, threatened to jump if he got any closer. And then he jumped. And that's kind of how the season ends with those two. Cause then after that, Elliot's like, I want to ride the subway a bit more. And then he has his one-on-one with Mr. Robot and brings up that he jumped and wasn't pushed. And he asks Mr. Robot, did you know about that? And Mr. Robot just kind of takes that breath and kind of leans back. Like you're not ready for that yet. And He's right, because, I mean, when we ultimately get to that point in the next season, at least for a while, kind of destroys Elliot. Um, But, okay, it's easier to look back on, I admit. But did you not start to suspect what we ultimately find out in the last season in this moment? Because I sure as hell did. I think there was a part of me that did as well, like just being so confused like what could cause a kid to jump out a window away from their parent and I think I entertained that thought for like a second and I was like no and maybe I didn't want to see it or fancy it as any kind of legitimate possibility so I had pushed it out of my head until season four in the big reveal then which I can't wait to get to. I'm just right. like, oh my God, for like the last three recordings on this, I'm just like, we should have just done the whole series and just been all over the board for four hours. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm looking forward to season four because I mean, I have questions about how it ends. Like, yeah, what what do you think the ending means? Oh, what, oh no. I can't wait. Are you going to do a rewatch before we do uh, season four, do you think? If you have time. You don't have school. You don't have homework. Of course, you've got time. I do. <laughs> what have else do you have? Now. Like work and kids? What? Work and kids, <laughs> which I had before, <laughs> but I had school as well. So, yeah. But yeah, it's really hard to talk more about Elliot's developments without bleeding into season four too much. Right. But I just want to touch on that monologue again. Like, it's a really good moment of self-realization, but it's also something that the show writers, show creators, whatever, did in terms of they had an opportunity to comment on current societal happenings, you know, making White Rose responsible for Trump, including Trump's dialogue and, and other key scenes 
from recent history in the monologue as he's walking down the street is one of the best social political commentary monologues I've ever experienced in a show. And I think it is one of the best, if not the best, Elliot monologue in the show. I completely agree. I love I love all his monologues. I love when he says the out the inside parts out loud, because that's what he's doing as he's walking down the street and he's going off on his little rant there. But yeah, it's the writing is so good in these moments, these almost self-aware or really drawing from current events. They're just so fucking good and so well done and so well, like well read and well acted and well played. Right. That, I mean, like I have a pretty great memory under the right circumstances, but, and I love that monologue, but there's just there's so much coming in from that so fast. Cause you know, Elliot is lightning fast when he's putting two and two together. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his speech patterns are just like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> like it kind of reminds me of Sherlock just, you know, mm-hmm. um, less poised I guess um but I just remember when I first watched that scene it it just it hit so hard like I I was just sitting there listening to it and I was just in awe like not only is this relevant to Elliot and where he's at in his character development and the show and what's going on in the show but this is like now um you know and Again, I got into the show later than its real time airing, so th- it was it was still relevant now. Like you could watch that scene now and still be like, "What the fuck have we done?" <laughs> it, doesn't it scare you a little bit? Like, okay, so we're in this position now. This is where we're at. This is like the most relevant thing from TV for our current times. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Like how fucked is our society? And, you know, and then you're like, oh, fuck society. Yeah, it works on so many levels. (laughs) But, you know, I just, like that monologue to me was the culmination of the season. Yeah, that's a great monologue. And that's right in um, episode one. But there is one line of his monologue where he says, states something about choosing weakness over strength, which is played over a distorted, sound clip of trump mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so and subtle guys see, the thing with that monologue being in the beginning of the season you know you're already put in that mindset of well fuck what happens now mm-hmm. and then we get to see what happens now and it's awful and elliot tries to do what he can to stop it not you know he's working on his own and not really even completely himself you know doing that for a lot of it and he's he manages to make a small dent in an otherwise amazingly huge problem that he's largely architected mm-hmm. and it, you know like i couldn't help thinking back to this monologue the entire time like i mean i felt like that was one of those points where it's like i'm really talking to you personality the audience in my head you're in this position too. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's, it's a great one. And shit, I might just go back and re-listen to it after this. Cause it's good. And it's still very relevant. It's still hits pretty hard. Yep. 
All right. Anything else on anyone else? Anything we may have forgot or glossed over or anything we just didn't hit that you'd want to bring up quick or not quick? Um, I'm drawing a blank. I don't know about you. I guess just a couple of kind of stray notes or shout outs. Hamburger hazmat suit guy. He pops up a good four or five times, I think, in this season. Oh, yeah. Do you think it was like the inspiration for the Among Us characters? Like their suit? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How sus is he? Is he? He's not that sus. <laughs> Shoot well, me in the far, okay. face. As far as Dark Army goes, everyone's sus, but you're right. Dude just shows. No, he's totally sus. He shows up at the right moment every time and he always has a sandwich. Mm-hmm. He did give his food to Angela after Angela did the hacky bit at E-Corp. You know, she's on the phone with Irving and he's like, oh, there's a guy waiting for you downstairs. Give everything to him. And it's hazmat hamburger guy. And he hands her his bag of food and she's all like, and she takes it. And I was like, he's a nice guy. Now, is that still sus? Yes. Free food. Why is he always there? And how does he always have food? Like, that's got to be absolute perfect timing every time. Because if you sit around with fast food sitting in a bag, like, it goes gross, you know? He's got great time management skills. Yeah, which is probably why White Rose relies on him so yeah. much. Yeah. She knows he'll be there. It's all coming together. It's all. <laughs> uh, another kind of stray note that I have is I love that uh, at one point, Darlene and Elliot make a vengeance pact. Uh, so if anything were to happen to her, about that. so I would like to have a vengeance pact with whoever, I don't care. So I'll do it. Make it a listener contest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be in my vengeance pact. You have to answer these five questions from random episodes. Oh, that's a lot of work. Um, and <laughs> kind of feel bad for poor Flipper the dog. She clearly loves Elliot, but Elliot's not the best dog owner, but at least he's got a good neighbor or landlord whoever is the one that watches him or watches her most of the time and even in the episode where Dar or even in the episode where Elliot plans on killing himself he spends the day with Trenton's little brother he gives the dog to his landlord again to watch her and he's and Elliot's like okay I'll bring all her water dish and her favorite toy and all these things and Flipper's kind of like mm, mm, don't go yeah she probably ended up in better hands really yeah but she seemed did seem to help because there's like one scene where Elliot's in front of his bathroom mirror and there's a note and it just says they own the FBI mm -hmm. and as Elliot starts to come to we hear Flipper just yep 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 yapping as the episode progresses and where we see after we've seen everything that Mr. Robot has learned that, you know, Dark Army's got someone in the FBI and he goes to start leaving that note as he's starting to like transition back into Elliot and has those glitchy moments, you start hearing flipper bark. Yeah. So it just kind of made me a little curious, like how in tune is flipper and or all animals to someone with DID? I don't know. And, and, good and, point. and in sensing these kinds of things, you know, uh, that, that kind of change in a person. I've never really considered that. Me neither, but it wasn't until, because, you know, Flipper's just a small yippy dog. And I was like, ah, shut that dog up. And I was like, wait a minute. Maybe that dog's yeah. like, Elliot, 
Elliot, come back. Elliot, you're almost here. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, just kind of a stray random note thought moment. Oh, and then random note regarding the closed captioning that I have on uh, through Amazon Prime. There were times where uh, with White Rose and Grant, and they'd be speaking Mandarin, closed caption would pop up speaking foreign language. Like, you, you can't just fucking say Mandarin. Also, why couldn't they translate it? No shit. Like, I wanted to know what they were saying. And I think it would be faster if they translated it as opposed to me learning Mandarin. And I've often wondered in, in shows, you know, with the closed captioning, when they do translate and when they don't, and what it just has to do with maybe the overall story. Yeah, I'm thinking that maybe it was deliberate. Like yeah. we weren't we weren't supposed to know as the audience as that character of the show. Or sometimes it's just that between the closed captioning and the subtitles. So I think maybe it just said like speaking Mandarin, but the show itself translated. Oh yeah, good point. A couple of times closed caption said speaking foreign language. I was like, just fucking say Mandarin. Uh, the next episode, it actually did say speaking Mandarin, but then the music overlay to the scene was a woman singing in Mandarin, and I think it said woman singing in foreign language. So they're very inconsistent. Yeah. So I don't know how the closed captioning stuff works with shows and movies, if it's completely independent from, you know, the showmaker, showrunners. I think it is, but I'm not sure. If it's more related to uh, the uh, distributors, distributors, I don't know. But there's always little inconsistencies like that throughout. And yeah, you're right. So this is a good distinction. So the subtitles, I think, at least for this show, were deliberate about when they were specific about what was being said and what wasn't. But Closed captioning is typically a separate thing. I'm not sure who owns it in the case of streaming. Like, is it an Amazon thing? I don't know. But, you know, there are people who still rely on that. And I guess they're missing out on the experience because of laziness, if nothing else. Yeah, I would agree. But yeah, I think, I think that's it. (laughs) We've gone on long enough, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I suppose or, so, yeah. Or have we? Wait till season four. Oh my god, I'm so excited for season four. <laughs> Would you say season four is your favorite season? Quite possibly, I think so. I mean, season one's great. They, they did a great job setting up the story. Nice little kind of cliffhanger uh, at the end there. Some great twists that you don't really see coming. You know, I think season one, I think we've talked about how maybe that might be like Darlene's strongest season. Yeah. Where she seems the most confident and capable and like well-connected, but we kind of throughout the run of the show see that that's not all entirely true. No, she's like someone, you know, where you'd be like, at first really excited to be in a relationship with them. And then as you get to know them, you're just like, oh yeah, this isn't going to work out. (laughs) You're kind of a mess. Sorry. I think season one was great because, you know, if a show doesn't have a good season one, it's very unlikely it's going to continue. Season two is is still, to me, the lowest point of the show. And it was good. It was a good season. Like, 
It really was. It's a great show. I mean, it's hard to fault it. Season three seemed to really make up for that for me. And season four was awesome, but also kind of jarring because they did those little like stylistic differences that, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't prepared for. Um, And, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what was the intent of that style change? Was it just for fun? Was it kind of building up to the culmination of the end of the show and everything that happened there? I don't know. So maybe a rewatch is in order because I didn't figure out why they did that. I think you're the only person I record with that doesn't do a rewatch before we record. But I also am not worried about that because of your Rain Man memory. Rain Man memory. It's got holes in it, like Ruben. Ruben shaped holes. (laughs) Ruben shaped sandwiches. So terrible. I love it. Um, (laughs) But I think, I think maybe for season four, you should try and do a rewatch because you said you still kind of have some questions or, you know, I think it'd just be good to revisit. And then, cause I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to rewatch season four. I'm so excited to finally talk about it. Cause that's really all I've been wanting to talk about when it comes to the show. <laughs> cause I've got so many fucking questions, maybe just a handful. We'll see, but we'll figure all that out. Yeah. I have, theories about you know the ending as well like it's either this this or this type thing so it's gonna be fun to talk about yeah I'm looking forward to it so but I guess that'll do it for us for today on Mr. Robot season three Uh, thanks for listening everyone thanks for joining today Laura of course and everyone you just stay safe and keep streaming bye practice good internet security what she said. Change your password. That's all I got. Yeah. Short list. Hey, that's a good start. Do it. Use a password manager. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye.